Amen. It's very common when you're speaking to someone uh, concerning uh, the doctrine, we'll say, of election or predestination in the Bible. And very sincerely and honestly, they'll ask you the question, well, if that's true, then why do you preach the gospel? And they ask that question because they're still operating on the concept that the gospel is vital to save people for heaven. So if God's people were his people before the foundation of the world, what's the purpose of preaching the gospel? So it's a misunderstanding of what we call the utility of the gospel or the purpose of the gospel. Now, God's people, by the way, were not saved before the foundation of the world. They were chosen before the foundation of the world. They were elected before the foundation of the world. They were named before the foundation of the world. And God gave them to his son as a bride and him as the bride and groom and gave them to him an everlasting covenant, all that happened before the foundation of the world. But God's people were saved legally through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saved before the foundation of the world, there'd be no need for Christ to come into the world. But they were not saved then. They were saved on the cross legally. And then each and every one whom Christ represented on the cross are saved vitally when they're born of the Spirit of God. That has nothing to do with the gospel, period. Now, it's a good question, though, because, again, they're operating on the concept of free will. So hopefully the Lord can bless or will bless people like that to come to a knowledge of free grace. Then it all comes together and it's harmonized, as you see. Now, we kind of finished up this morning there talking about the gifts that God gave. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. That's why we preach. We want to perfect the saints. Make saints, perfect saints. And uh, for the perfect in the work of the ministry, and then for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Not add to the body of Christ, but build up the body of Christ, you see. And uh, it goes on to say that we be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, whereby men lie in wait to deceive through the slight of men or slate of men, they lie in wait to deceive. It helps God's people with their stability, you know, to stand firm when the different winds of doctrine come swirling around. But we also mentioned how it's food for God's people. Now, what did the Lord tell Peter after his resurrection in John 21? He came to Peter and asked him the question, Lovest thou me more than these? He says, yea, Lord, I love thee. He says, well, feed my lamb. Well, he wasn't talking about little sheep there. He was talking about his people. He said, you love me, you feed my lamb. Then he says, Peter, lovest thou me? He says, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He says, feed my sheep. Then he asked him the third time, 
Peter, lovest thou me? He says, Lord, thou knowest all things. <laughs> Peter's getting tired of this question. <laughs> he, but you see, Peter denied him three times. Now he's going to have to confess him three times. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. You know, I'm sure Peter's wondering, why do you keep asking me this question, Lord? I said I love you. You know I love you. But the Lord wanted him to confess him three times. And he says, feed my sheep. So the purpose of preaching the gospel is to feed the lambs and feed the sheep. Now, you can't feed something that's dead. You can only feed that which is alive, you see. So gospel food is for the living. It's not for the dead. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Here's a prayer of the Apostle Paul. He says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now remember the definition of saved or salvation is deliverance. If you'll remember that, it'll help you uh, rightly divide the word of truth concerning salvation texts. Brethren, my heart's desire. Notice he addressed them as brethren. He's writing a church letter to the church at Rome that's made up of born-again children of God. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel, he's talking about the natural Jew here, that Israel might be saved. For a barren record, they've got a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. It says they're zealous, and the zeal come from God, but not of knowledge, you see. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And them being ignorant of God's righteousness are going about trying to establish their own righteousness and therefore have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of Christ. Now the gospel will help somebody reach the point where they will be in submission to the righteousness of Christ. The Jewish people were not. The Jewish people as a whole didn't recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah, as God's son. So they're still, they were still trying to establish their righteousness by keeping the law of Moses. But the law of Moses demanded perfection. And they could never do that. They could never keep the law to perfection. But one would have to keep the law to perfection. His name was Jesus. So the gospel is about Jesus, you see. It's to tell God's people, here is the one who gave the law, who came and satisfied the law to a jot and to a tittle. And when a child of God comes to that recognition and understanding, it's a very great burden lifted off his shoulders. You know, have you ever uh, just uh, been in a state of worry and anxiety for some reason or another? Maybe you applied for a job, you applied for promotion, and here a day goes by and another day goes by and you're wringing your hands in despair, just, did I get the job? Did I get the promotion? You know how you'd feel like that? Well, what about eternal life? If it's on the basis of your decision, your repentance, your faithfulness, your perseverance, your overall conduct of life, and it comes to the end, how, just how confident would you be that you would get into glory? If you're going to wring your hands in despair whether you get a job or not, what kind of condition would you be in if you're very sincere in your belief and conviction no matter how good you think you may have lived, no matter how, how strong you think you may have believed, one thing or another, it comes down to the point you're either going to heaven, you're going to hell based upon the factors that I've just listed right here. How would you feel about that? I believe you'd be so weighted down, so burdened down, and there are people like that. You know, and if they are blessed to hear the gospel, I want to preach the gospel to them, let them know, listen. You need to live the best you can. You need to believe as strong as you can. You need to walk by faith the best you can. 
But I don't care how strong you are, how well you live, you can't live long enough or good enough based on your own to pass the standard of perfection. You just can't do it. But there was one who did. His name is Jesus. There's one who did. He took your room and lived in your life you couldn't live. He died in your room instead. And he put away your sins as far as the east is from the west. And I think that's a story worth telling, you see. If the child of God understands that, what a relief it is to him to know. I, I'm thankful to understand I cannot work my way to heaven. I want to serve him to the best of my ability. I want to serve the one who died for me and made it where I would be with him in heaven some sweet day. And that's what Paul felt to the Jewish people. Paul was a Jew. And it broke Paul's heart in Romans 9 and 1. He says, I, I, I would be a curse for Christ's sake concerning his people if they could just get them to understand what he was talking about in Romans chapter 10, you see. The salvation in Romans 10 is not hell to heaven. The salvation is from ignorance to knowledge. What the benefits of knowledge, the true knowledge of something brings freedom, it brings liberty. That's why the Lord said, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. About verse 21, I believe it is. Paul says, though I be free from all men, yet I've made myself servant unto all. He said, for I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. Now what did he mean by that? He was a Jew. How could he become a Jew if he was already a Jew? He's talking about I'm going to meet the Jews on, on their territory. I understand something about the Jews. I became a Jew. Why? That I might gain the Jews. He says, I become as those that are under law to gain those that are under law. I became as those who were uh, without law to gain those that were without law. He said, I became weak to gain those that were weak. Notice the word gain is used in every one of these expressions. But then listen to what he says at the end. He said, I became all things that by all means I might save some. Paul is telling me here, that it's possible for him to save somebody. And yet this is the same apostle who said in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Preaching the gospel is a work. Preaching the gospel is yourself. Did he contradict himself? No, he did not. Same apostle wrote 2 Timothy 1.9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done. Preaching the gospel is a work of righteousness. Being baptized is a work of righteousness. Repentance, all that's in the category of righteousness. But he says, not by works of righteousness. Yet he says here in 1 Corinthians 9, I became all things, by all means I might save some. Once you talk, what kind of salvation is under consideration? Uh, the same thing I was talking about in Romans chapter 10. You know, whether it be a Jew, whether it be a Gentile, it, it, it didn't matter. He wanted to preach to God's people and point them to Jesus Christ and show unto them that the Lamb of God came and offered himself to the Father. The Father accepted the offering and sacrifice and delivered them from the bondage of the law of sin and death. Now they're free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with great zeal according to knowledge, you see. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 15, 16. He says, meditate upon these things and give thyself holy. That's W-H-O-L-O-Y, holy. 
thyself holy unto them, that thy profiting might appear to all. That's how a minister can show the congregation that, that he's profitable in his, in his efforts by meditating upon himself and getting himself holy to these things, that thy profiting may appear to all. He says, for in so doing these things, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, Timothy obviously was already saved as a child of grace, a child of God, but we're talking about a different salvation, a different deliverance. He, he said, by taking heed, Timothy. So when I take heed to what I preach, it will save me. And if you take heed to what I preach, it will save you. Save you what? Again, from ignorance to knowledge, from darkness to light, from sadness to joy. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying here? That's why I preach the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul told Timothy, I do all things for the elect's sake. He said, there's an elect out there, and I'm willing to endure all things because I love them. I'm willing to do all things for the elect's sake. God's got our children. God's got his elect. And I'm willing to suffer uh, being beaten five times, 40 stripes, save one. I'm willing to be shipwrecked. I'm willing to be stoned. I'm willing uh, to be beaten with rods. I'm willing to suffer a night in the deep. I'm willing to suffer in pearls of brethren and, and countrymen and robbers, etc., etc. I'm willing to do anything and all these things because why? God's got elect out there. I want them to know the truth. I want them to know the truth. The truth is, what kind of price can you put on truth? What kind of price can you put on truth that brings you freedom and liberty? That's why Solomon says, buy the truth and sell it not. Once you've acquired it, don't you get rid of it. What could you get for the truth that would make you better off? Nothing. If you sold the truth, you would be the loser each and every time. It's not possible for the truth to be beneficial and profitable because you gave it the most valuable thing that there is. People ask me occasionally, what do you have for the young folks? I say the same thing we got for the old folks. We got the truth and we got love. Can you tell me two more important things than that in life? Truth and love? I don't think you can. God's people, when they come here, they need to leave this place even if they don't believe what I preach. They need to leave here thinking that's the most loving bunch of people I've ever been around. I'm telling you, I was made to feel welcome. They uh, shook my hands 49 times. Uh, they hugged my neck 53 times. I mean, we just had a wonderful time. I've never seen such, such hospitality in all my life. That, you know, love's a universal language, right? It's a universal language. So I preach the gospel to try to bring God's people from ignorance to knowledge. I preach the gospel that they might be delivered from untruth and from the errors of this world. I preach the gospel that it might feed the hearts and souls of the people of God. That's why I preach the gospel. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, he says, Knowing therefore, brother and beloved, your election of God. For our God came not to you in word only, but he came in power. He came in the Holy Ghost, and he came in much assurance. Uh, you'd be, it's really interesting if you look at all the verses of Scripture that has the word power in it in connection to the gospel. Look at Romans 1, 15, 16. For as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you which at Rome also, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. He didn't say the gospel is the power of salvation to the unbeliever. It's not. 
The unbeliever thinks it's foolishness. Look at 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, he says, For the, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. Now, the gospel will save the saved. You, that'll help you maybe comprehend what I'm saying. The gospel will save the saved. It will deliver the saved who've been delivered by grace from a state of, sin and, a state of death and sin to a state of life in Christ and from the bondage of the law of sin and death, it will deliver you from bring, to bring, by bringing you into a knowledge and understanding of the miraculous, amazing, wonderful grace of God. You see that, I hope? <laughs> but look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness. Us which are saved is the power of God. Now I could set butter and clay out there right now on the ground and let the sun shine on it. In a few minutes that butter will melt and that clay will harden. Same sun, same temperature, different properties, right? It'll melt the butter, it'll harden the clay. The preaching of the gospel will harden the heart of the, of the dead alien sinner, the unregenerated sinner. It'll melt the heart of the born-again child of God. That's why I preach. <laughs> I'm thankful today that uh, the Lord's given me some understanding. You know, I can sleep at night. I've never prayed one time, not one time, for the eternal salvation of anybody in my life. You know why? Because Christ prayed it. Christ prayed in John chapter 17. He went to the Father and he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, the hour's come. He said, glorify thy son, he might also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. They might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, thy son, whom thou hast sent. Jesus prayed the prayer. And I know Jesus' prayer was answered, don't you? <laughs> Have you ever told anybody, I just don't know if my prayers get answered or not? Uh, sometimes my prayers don't seem like they get any higher than, than the ceiling or whatever. Have you ever thought like that and said something like that? I understand what you're saying, but I'm going to tell you this. Never did Christ pray a prayer that wasn't fully, completely, totally, and perfectly answered. So all the Father gave him, he gave eternal life to, and will give eternal life to, you see. That's why I preach the gospel. It's foolishness. Now look at the power. It's the power of God. Now look at it in about three or four different ways. First of all, it takes the power of God for a man to preach the gospel. <laughs> man can't preach the gospel without the power of God. And when he preaches the gospel, he preaches about the power of God, right? And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, My teaching and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but was in demonstration of the Spirit and also of power. So he preached in power, by the power, about the power. I love to preach about the power of God, don't you? Any gospel message, I'm going to tell you what, is going to have to have some power in it, and it's got to be about the power of God. I mean, somewhere along the line. I don't care what the subject matter is. You know, I don't know how you can preach a gospel message without somewhere along the line showing by the Word of God what you're talking about is by the power of God. Whether it be the work of creation, naturally, spiritually, work of salvation, work of prophecy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but outside the power of God, it wouldn't come to pass. It's about the power of God, isn't it? And then what about you out there in the pew? You know what it takes for you to hear the gospel? It takes the power of God. 
takes the power of God for me to preach it. It takes the power of God for you to hear it. It takes the power of God, uh, you know, to enable both of us uh, to, to, to feel the power of God. And it's all about the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to everyone that believeth. Jew first. The gospel first came to the Jew. Now, I just like to ask people occasionally what they think about what the Lord said in Matthew 10, 1. When he told his apostles to go not in the way of the Gentiles, the way of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If it requires the preaching of the gospel for somebody to be saved, the Lord just eliminated a whole lot of people. He eliminated the, the Gentiles, eliminated the Samaritans, and just kept it for the Jews. You know that's not right. <laughs> you know that's not the truth. Why do you preach the gospel? Because God's got an elect family out there that I think would benefit and profit from it. I believe that they would rejoice in it if they were blessed to see it. That's one of the problems. People pass by here every single day and have no idea in the world what goes on inside here. Have no idea in the world what we believe and what we preach. They got to come on the inside. Like the man told Brother Tim about the car. He said, I didn't know anything like that existed. <laughs> That's the testimony of a lot of people. And so that kind of tells me we're not doing quite as good as we ought to do about telling it and spreading it. We're trying. Uh, one day this past week, Brother Todd told me that we had 600 downloads in one day. Where are all these people at? I, I want to meet them. I want to get acquainted with them. <laughs> 600 in one day. He said, I think we got a whole lot of primitive Baptists hid out there. <laughs> well, it's time to come out of the bushes, brother. <laughs> time to come out of the bushes. You know, every once in a while you'll hear somebody, well, I will, you probably don't, and I don't want you to. Uh, I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, I, I just think the word primitive is a distraction. I think the word primitive is a hindrance. I tell you, more I've had more conversations started, biblical conversations, because of the word primitive than about any other thing. Well, tell me, what does primitive mean? Tell me, what's the difference between primitive Baptists and other Baptists? Uh, Brother Tim had that, just had that experience. You know, the man that joined Vestavia Church a few years ago from Africa, I'm trying to think of his name right on him. Anyway, you know, he, walked, he, he was over here from Africa going to, to a religious school. And he walked by Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church one day and saw the sign, Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church. It struck a chord. He decided he'd go inside and find out a little bit more about it. He never came back out. Figuratively speaking. Brother Obey, thank you. Brother Obey. He was ordained right there at Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church as a gospel preacher. Sometime later, he went, joined, you know, attended for a while, and then later on he joined and was baptized. And then he went back to Africa. He was ordained in Africa and preached for a while. Sadly, he, he died a young man. But for the time that he was among the Lord's people, you know, he, he, people talk about him like I'm doing right now and his experience. What drew him in? The word primitive drew him in. It's what drew him in. You've got to be ready to tell people about it. They'll be ready <laughs> to give that answer. 
I think about a dear brother uh, down in Florida years ago, lived in Vero Beach, Florida. His wife was a member. He was not. He, 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 he wasn't a PB at the time. And uh, she came to Little Union Church, and she drove nearly two and a half hours to get there. And she drove every Sunday across the state from east to west, two and a half hours every Sunday. So knowing her, I know she talked to him a lot about the church and stuff. So one day he said, well, I, I'm just a little concerned you driving over there with the children. I said, I, I'm, I'm going to go with you. So he came with her. Next thing you know, he come with her another time, then another time. Next thing you know, he got to eating at the trough. <laughs> the next thing you know, he, he got so happy and excited about it, he joined the church. And boy, and for a while, I'm telling you, he, he was just as happy. He, he's an example of why I want to preach the gospel and why our ministers preach the gospel. And I got, he, he was a butcher by trade. And he, he lost his job, got laid off, and he was trying to find a job. And it was hard to find one back then. He called me up one day and he said, Brother Ronley says, I got a chance for a pretty good job, but it's up in uh, Wisconsin. He says, is there, he told me where he says, is there a primitive Baptist church there? And I said, no, it's not. He said, well, I'm just going to tell them no. I'm not taking it. I said, well, the Lord will bless you. The Lord will bless you for that. And then some time down the road a little longer, uh, he called me again. He said, well, I got a chance for a pretty good job in Charlotte, North Carolina. What about there? And I said, reluctantly, well, yeah, there's quite a few there. <laughs> I didn't want to lose him. <laughs> I didn't hear there, so you'll be in good shape there. So he took the job and then moved up there and got involved with the Primitive Baptist people up there, church up there. And he wasn't up there all that long. I can't remember how long it was. And he had a massive heart attack and died. But he was an inspiration to me. He found, he found the pearl of great price. He found the pearl in the field, you know. He bought the field to get it. That's why I preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want God's people to be enlightened. I want them to know and to understand the doctrine of grace and the surety of their salvation. And I want them to have assurance in their hearts and souls. Again, Paul said, Knowing, brother beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not to you in word only, but it came in power, and it came the Holy Ghost, and it came in much assurance. I don't have an overabundance of assurance. I want all I can get. <laughs> right? This world will, will knock you down. I need to get back up and say, Lord, help me one more day. Tell me one more time, Lord, you love me. I just don't want to, I, I never have gotten tired of hearing it too many times. Lord, Lord, I want you to tell me you love me one more time. And every time I come here today, the Lord has told me several times already today that he loves me. How about you?